0: So it's Luke 22 and we're going to read verses 1 to 6 and then we're going to skip over uh, the story of the Last Supper uh, for today and we're going to go to verse 39 um, and read to verse 62. Uh, So we're going to start at the start of chapter 22. This is the word of God. Now the feast of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to, rid, to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and, and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them, when no crowd was present. Then over to verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion, that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour, when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest, Peter followed at a distance, but when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. But an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Amen.
1: Sorry about that, folks. Forgot to wire for sound. Um, so the championships in the bag, and tomorrow, our next next weekend, a chance for a historic treble. It has been a good Six Nations so far for Ireland. I, I don't know whether you've been uh, seen the slogan. Uh, that whoever markets them or whoever promotes them has uh, been using for them this year. Who we are is how we play. Um, keep, keep that image and that slogan in your mind, because we're going to keep coming back to that here today. Um, last week we took a, a Just a one-week break from Luke's Gospel. We've been in Luke's Gospel since uh, the beginning of January. Uh, I want very quickly just to put us back in context, make sure we know where we are, where we're going. Uh, So in January, when we came back into Luke's Gospel, it was at a a point where Jesus had completed a long journey uh, towards Jerusalem, and he was really in the very final stages. So if you remember, we picked him up moving through Jericho, where he met Bartimaeus. Uh, where he met Zacchaeus. We followed on with him through a noisy procession into the city of Jerusalem. And then for a few weeks, we've been with him in the temple as Jesus has spent time teaching in the temple. He's, he's really been cleansing the temple. If you remember, he did that physically when he pushed out the, the money changers and the, the guys selling stuff there. But he's also cleansing it of a lot of ideas ideas. And particularly, he's cleansing it of of those who would resist him as God's chosen king, as Messiah. So that's the last few chapters of Luke's gospel. By the time we come now to chapter 22, the full moon of the Passover is rising over Jerusalem. It's the last night of Jesus earthly life We've had a sense uh, anyone who's paying attention these last uh, chapters these last weeks of a really growing opposition against Jesus but tonight this running battle between the powers of darkness and Jesus Christ comes to its climax the, the showdown, this showdown has been in the diary, if you like. It's been coming from the very, very start of, of the story. Um, you might remember that early in his ministry, really before he starts his public ministry, Jesus is tempted. He goes into the desert and he's tempted by Satan. Well, when Luke... Gives his account of the temptation of Jesus. He tells us that when the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him alone until an opportune time. An opportune time. This, tonight, is the opportune moment (coughs) that Satan's been waiting for. He's back. Satan's back, and he will not leave Jesus this time until he's killed him. Have a wee look down there. You'd really need your passage open before you today. Chapter 22 of Luke's Gospel. Um, The page number again, in case you're looking for it. Page 1057 over to 58. The the headings in the NIV are quite helpful just to show us the the journey. Uh, Some of these um, incidents you'll you'll know about. We've just read them, but you'll know them maybe from Sunday school or whatever. Judas betrays Jesus, the Last Supper, Jesus praying on the Mount of Olives, his arrest... Peter disowning Jesus, and then it goes on to the events of what we have come to call Good Friday. Tonight, as Stephen says, we're going to leave the Last Supper aside for a moment. We'll come back to that in a couple of weeks' time when we have a, a pre-Easter communion service here. Tonight, we're going to, or Today we're going to concern ourselves with these events uh, up to and including Jesus' arrest. It might help you as we just enter into this chapter to have an idea in your mind to help you see that two plans are being set in motion at the start of chapter 22. The first we read about in the first six verses, and that's the plan to see Jesus finally destroyed. Judas with the high priests, the religious leaders, planning for Jesus' destruction. Verse 3, Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. So that's the first plan being set in motion, a plan to destroy Jesus. But in the same evening, a focus falls on, or probably better said, comes back to a second plan that's moving towards its climax and completion. And that's Jesus' plan to save the world. God's plan to save the world through his son. He'll talk about that and allude to it with his disciples in the supper. And as I said, we'll come back to that in a few weeks' time. So for this morning, we're going to follow this unfolding plan of Jesus' destruction. And what I want you to have your eye on is how Jesus' companions, how the team do As they come towards the end, how does the team react when the pressure's on? We'll pick up the narrative in verse 39, Jesus taking his disciples out to the Mount of Olives. This isn't their first time in the Mount of Olives. They passed through it on their way into the city. Uh, Luke tells us at the end of chapter 21 that they've actually been going there every evening. After going into the city during the daytime to teach in the temple, then they go back each evening to the Mount of Olives. So from the the stuffy uh, upstairs room in Jerusalem, stuffy with the smell of, of roast lamb, of bitter herbs, of sweaty bodies... Jesus and his band of 11 disciples head for a cool and spacious garden in the olive groves, Gethsemane. Uh, You may know its name. Spring is in full bloom. The night air is full of fragrant blossoms. And I can only imagine that it was quite a beautiful setting. Quite beautiful. But this wasn't a beautiful evening for Jesus. Jesus. Tonight he feels the need of prayer. He wants to pray and he wants his disciples to pray with him too. I don't think we're ever so conscious in the gospels of Jesus wanting the company of his disciples. As in this moment on this occasion. He wants their company but he needs a bit of privacy too to go on and pray by himself. So he goes on a stone's throw beyond them. And we read in the text that He's struggling. He's struggling with his father. Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Jesus knows what lies ahead. And he doesn't want to go through with it. He doesn't want that. Luke wants us to see how intense his prayer and his struggle is at this point. He tells us that his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus, their leader, is under immense pressure. He's asked his disciples to stand with him, to pray with him. How will the team respond when something's asked of them? Jesus comes back from his private prayer and he finds them lying in a heap, asleep. I can only imagine how disappointing that was for Jesus. Why are you sleeping? He asks him. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus isn't looking for prayer in general on this evening. He he is looking, he's praying himself, and he wants his disciples to pray along with him that they'll be able to stand, that they'll be strong in the face of temptation. He asked them to do this and and they fail miserably. They don't pray and they do fall into temptation. David Watson teaches at one point uh, about the connection between prayer and temptation. And he says, It was only through fasting and prayer that Jesus withstood the tempter's deceit in the wilderness and later in the garden. We cannot resist temptation in our own strength. Many times I've had to say to God, Lord, I cannot do this thing by myself. I've tried and failed. Please be my strength and shield in the midst of temptation. Watson goes on and he says, Repeatedly I've found that when there is this expressed dependence on him, God's grace is sufficient in time of need. We might prefer a fully automatic security system to protect us from the evil one, but God wants us to willingly abide in his love. Jesus is praying so that he won't fall into temptation. And he invites his disciples to do the same and they fall asleep. I used to read these passages about the disciples and think, goodness, they're, you know, they're thick. They just don't get it. Or they're, they're lazy whenever something's asked of them or demanded of them. They, they just uh, aren't able for the, the hard yards. Nowadays, I'm much more inclined just to, to put myself in the same pew to say, well, yeah, I... I am among them. Can't pray, won't pray. No stamina for the arduous parts of the journey. A poor companion for Jesus if he was ever looking for anything from me. Sometimes we play this trick of the mind I'm sure I'm not alone in this where we imagine that the bad moments in our lives are the moments when we're acting out of character. Do you, do you know that? You do something, you let yourself down, and you think, "Oh, you know, that, I'm better than that. That's not the real me." I wonder if it's not the other way around that are good moments are the ones where we've managed to have a a burst of energy and pretend for a moment, rise above who we naturally are. We've managed a short burst of enthusiasm or devotion. You see, the truth is that the, the sleeping, prayerless disciples in Gethsemane, they're not acting out of character at all. They're sleeping and they're prayerless because that's who they are. I'm prayerless and lethargic in my life with God it's it's just me being me who we are is how we play so the 11 disciples they they disappoint Jesus with their prayerlessness Judas he he betrays Jesus we saw him making the arrangements in the opening verses of the chapter, and then beginning verse 47, we have the account of him uh, finally betraying Jesus to his arrest. Whenever we read this stuff, I, I don't know where you sit with Judas. Maybe you say, you know, bad guy, um, maybe it suits us to to see him as the, the one bad guy in the story, I, I sort of find myself wondering, how, how did it come to this? He was part of Jesus' team for three years. He was this close to Jesus. He was a friend of Jesus. It's easy to, to single Judas out to make him, as I say, the villain of the peace. But actually, if we bear in mind that the... All the disciples have already disappointed Jesus. In a moment they're all going to take off and run and leave him on his own. Even Peter who tries to go a little bit further ends up denying Jesus. And then after Jesus' death and resurrection, none of these guys believe that he's risen from the dead. They all are failing to trust Jesus, to be Followers, disciples. It seems to me that Judas is, uh, he he fails Jesus like the others. His betrayal, I think, differs in degree, but, but probably not in type from all those other disloyalties that are shown Jesus by his disciples. There's a lot of debate when you read about why Jesus, um, or sorry, Judas betrayed Jesus. It, he's he's known to be the treasurer of the group. Seems to like money. Is is it just because he sees a, a few a few quid? Um, is it because he was quite politically motivated and he realised that Jesus wasn't gonna gonna win a political victory over Rome and he becomes disillusioned and disappointed. It's, it's hard to know exactly. The, the biblical writers don't feel it important to tell us what was at the heart of Judas' disillusionment with Jesus. But, but it is clear that he's somehow disappointed with Jesus. He's not the last person, is he? Among, there are a lot of people in Northern Ireland in the times in which we live who have left church I want to make a, a wee distinction here as I talk about this there are those who have left a half-hearted, lifeless presentation of the gospel and of Christian community I'm not so much thinking about those folks I'm not sure if they've ever even had an invitation or a chance to be with Jesus Pray to God that opportunity will come. But there are many people who have grown up in gospel preaching churches that have lively community. They're not perfect places. They have lots of flaws. But there are places where people are trying to live out, live under the forgiveness of God, live out the, the grace of the gospel. But people still walk out of communities like that, don't they? they move on they move on because they're, they're not getting what they want like Judas they're disappointed with Jesus it's one thing I think to walk out of one church or another but it's, it's quite another thing to walk away from Jesus himself we can't really bluff or hide this you see who we are in the end is how we play The disciples are disappointed with Jesus. Judas betrays him. What about Peter? Confident Peter. Leader of the pack, Peter. He'd been sitting with Jesus earlier that evening as they'd had the meal together. Jesus said, you know, one of the guys at the table, here's my betrayer. And Peter burst into the conversation. He said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death he must have had a sense that things were going to get difficult prison and death others are going to let you down but I know myself it won't be me so how is Peter going to deliver on that promise now that he's following Jesus to the house of the high priest turns out it takes only one passing comment from a servant girl and the big burly confident fisherman comes crashing down this man was with him woman I don't know him a little later someone else saw him and said you also were one of them man I am not Peter replied and about an hour later another asserted certainly this fellow was with him for he's a Galilean Peter replied man I don't know what you're talking about just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. Luke plays this like a movie director for a moment. The camera's been on the fireside and on Peter. But at that moment he cuts from the fireside across the courtyard and the camera falls on Jesus. The Lord turned and he looked straight at Peter. Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you'll disown me three times. Peter had blown it. He denied Jesus. He disappointed him, and he, in that moment, could see it in the look on Jesus' face. Luke tells us that he went outside and he wept bitterly. I'm sure he did. Leader of the pack, confident Peter, his confidence in himself entirely misplaced. Pressure comes on and he cracks. Who he was was how he played, folks. I'd never really thought of it this way before, but this week I've come to see um, by by one measure, this is kind of like the the final exam for the disciples. If you if you imagine th- Jesus three years of discipleship training with them as Preparing them for something, as building them up for something, getting them ready and, and strong. You'd think three years with Jesus would have been enough. That be ready for whatever comes, ready to stand with him in his hour of need, but not a bit of it. They disappoint, and they betray, and they deny every last one of them. Folks, I have found this a a really sobering passage to look at this week because as you know, I count myself a follower of Jesus Christ. And my invitation to you, probably since the day and hour I came here, is to come and join his movement To become his apprentice. To see yourself also as a follower of Jesus Christ. And there are times in our community and in my life when I think that's going okay. Where where that makes sense. Yes I am a follower. Yes I I do love Jesus. Yes I, I walk with him. Occasionally there might even be glimpses of him working in me and through me. And then I read a passage like this. Disappointment, denial, betrayal. This is what Jesus' disciples did back then, and I suspect it's what we still do today. We're a faithless bunch, for the most part. Who we are is how we play. might be a good topic to think about in your discipleship groups whenever you meet to talk about this passage. Which of the failures of Luke 22 do you most identify with? The prayerlessness? The betrayal? The denial? Are there other failures that would have been included if it was your story that's been written? How do we live with our sense of disappointment? Disappointment? in our discipleship. Let me begin to answer that last question by just spending the last few moments looking at Jesus. We haven't even looked at Jesus yet in this whole passage. A couple of things to notice. He's in control it might not seem like it at first. I, I don't know. I, I would never have understood that as a kid reading this story or hearing it in Sunday school, that Jesus was in control. I always thought of it as something spinning out of control, that the wheels had fallen off and things had ended badly for Jesus. But, but I, I don't see it that way anymore. He's completely in control. After all, he's gone to a garden. He's been going to the garden every night, hasn't he? You don't go to the garden every night if you know that someone's just gone to betray you, if you want to avoid capture, he knows that, that his capture's coming. His disciples were there with him. They offered some sort of armed uh, resistance, and Jesus again talks them out of it. Jesus is walking headlong into a trap, and he wants to go there. He's totally in control. Two things are true. Do you remember we said at the start, two plans are unfolding here. Two things are true. Yes, his enemies are closing in for the kill. But Jesus is doing exactly what he wants to do. Second thing about Jesus, how is he able to hold his course, to remain faithful to God's call on him? I, I don't know. I've never found the answer to this. How do you, how do you ever judge Jesus' thoughts and his heart the, the God-man, you know, how much of it's okay for us to say he, he's a man in that debate or in that, I, I don't know. I don't really understand that. But Luke portrays him here as a man who prays. The way he prepares himself for what lies ahead is to, to pray He prays that he won't fall into temptation. He prays to his father, not my will, but yours be done. That's the essence of his prayer that night. Eugene Peterson does something here that I'd never really thought of before, and I think it's it's very powerful. He links Jesus' prayer in the garden that night with the prayer that Mary, his mother, prayed when the angel first appeared to her to tell her she was going to have this wonderful son. Do you remember her prayer? The angel comes, says you're going to have a son. And she says, may it be to me as you have said. Peterson speculates that Mary's prayer back then somehow became formative for Jesus. That she taught her wee son the same prayer. May it be to me as you have said. And this boy grew into a young man who constantly prayed, may it be to me as you have said. And he became the, the man in ministry that he was and he did all that he did. May it be to me as you have said. And then that night when he's in the garden and he prays, not my will but yours be done. He's acting totally in character. He's being the man That he's been formed to be. Not my will, but yours be done. Who he is, is how he plays. He's entirely himself. Folks, as I say, I find this a very unsettling passage to think about. the, The global failure... Of all those who are Jesus' disciples, have seen and have been reminded of how unfaithful and how unworthy that we are. In the end, I think that's okay. Maybe that's no bad thing. Maybe it's a good thing that any self confidence that we might have is collapsed back to the ground it's a good thing for our self confidence to be put away but see this faithlessness of ours don't let it worry you don't let it worry you because our faithlessness isn't ultimate you see Jesus' plan of salvation never depended on our faithfulness For all of us, Jesus, disappointers and deniers and betrayers, we mustn't lose heart because we remain in extraordinarily good hands. Paul put it like this in his second letter to Timothy. Even if we're faithless, he will remain faithful. He's the faithful one. Nothing is going to turn him from the the goal that he's set towards. He wants to go through the trials and he wants to go through the cross and he wants to do that for me and for you. And nothing is going to turn him from it. Folks, we're moving now decisively into the heart of the Easter season. It's a journey that's going to take us inexorably to the cross. It's not going anywhere else. Let's be grateful for that. Let's be grateful to God and say, Thank you, Father, that this work of salvation didn't depend on those first disciples. Thank you that it didn't depend on any disciples right through the history of the church or on any disciples of Jesus today. Thank you, Lord, that my salvation doesn't depend even one tiny little bit on me. But it's entirely on him. Thank you that it all depends on Jesus, the only one who ever said and meant, Not my will, but yours be done. Thank you for Jesus, the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is as honest as it is about who we are and who you are. Lord, thank you for taking the, the time as your spirit inspired the writers to record the, the diverse nature of our disloyalties, our failures, and our betrayals. Lord, we, we aren't able to be loyal, faithful disciples and companions to you. We can't do it. Not in our own strength. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and thank you that he can do it. He can obey your call. He can go to the cross. And he can take all of our disloyalty, all of our failure, all of our rebellion and see that it's forgiven and washed away. Lord, I pray that you would let us know your unfailing grace to us, your your mercy and your kindness. Lord, thank you that there's restoration for us even when we fail. But Lord, we pray one thing today, that you take away any confidence that we might have been placing in ourselves and help us move all of our confidence now to Jesus. Amen.